You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. Hi, I'm Barney Whiter. I'm Alan Donegan. I'm Jen Smith from Frugal Friends, and you're listening to the Earn and Invest podcast. Recently, I caught this little snippet about cryptocurrency from Barney the Escape Artist on his blog. When I first sent out this article by email, I got some replies from readers struggling with the fact that different writers were saying different things about crypto. The question I got asked more often than once was, why are you talking about crypto when other financial bloggers, Warren Buffett, the media, insert your favorite financial authority figure here, warn people to stay away from it? A gentle reminder. If your argument is that Warren Buffett doesn't do crypto, you don't have an argument. You have a mental shortcut. In other words, copy Warren. In the past, that's not been a bad rule of thumb, but ignores the fact that Buffett changes his mind. Plus, he's in his late 80s and does not need to navigate crypto. This does not work for younger people who are not yet billionaires. But then, while reading Alan Donegan, one of my favorite bloggers, I came across this. This week, a friend emailed asking for advice. Should he invest in crypto? He asked me to talk him out of it. He said, now FOMO, fear of missing out, is running amok and Bitcoin is surging. My friend keeps telling me, you'll buy at 100,000. You'll buy at 100,000. If you're looking to let go of the feeling of I should invest in crypto, or you want some balance to the reasons for investing, then this article is for you. So which one is it? Is crypto a good investment? or just a waste of time and money? Well, I certainly don't know. And neither does my friend and fellow podcaster, Jen Smith. So we invited Barney from the Escape Artist blog and Alan Donegan from alandonegan.com to help us hash it out. Should we be investing in crypto? Barney, Alan, and Jen, welcome back to Earn and Invest. Barney, I want to start with you In a recent article, you mentioned that a lot has changed with crypto over the last 18 months. Have your opinions of the asset class also changed during that time? Yeah, I've done a 180 degree U-turn on it. (laughs) So, you know, I was firmly for many years in the camp of kind of seeing references to Bitcoin and seeing people make sort of quick and easy money and seeing the kind of speculative frenzy. And, you know, I've trained myself to stay a million miles away from anything that looks like a sort of scam or a Ponzi scheme or a get rich quick scheme. So I've ignored Bitcoin, you know, for several years. And it was only earlier this year in 2021 that I kind of went down the rabbit hole. 
And what's at the bottom of the rabbit hole is very different from what's at the top of the rabbit hole. So I've done a complete 180 and I'm now got a, I've now got a crypto position. I'm not trying to persuade anyone else to take a crypto position, but full disclosure, you know, I own some. Barney, what made you actually jump down the rabbit hole? Why finally now after all this time? I saw a number of people that know what they're doing um, kind of having a look down there. So I, I saw there was a couple of bloggers in the UK that uh, and, and just people I follow on Twitter. And so I just seen some ridiculous, I mean, it's just seen some eye-watering gains and people kind of, you know, flexing and bragging and in all those kind of obnoxious things. And, you know, you feel a mixture of emotions when you first see that. So part of you thinks, well, that's, that's irritating. Part of you thinks, well, you know, wish I'd made those gains. <laughs> and the other, and then the intellectual yep. curiosity kicks in and, and, and you think, well, maybe there's something there because the, this guy is not an idiot. The, these guys can't all be idiots. And so I went down the rabbit hole. And what, what I'll say is that I have spent the last five months almost full time on this. The rabbit hole runs really, really deep. So it is not an easy thing to kind of get up to speed and learn it in a day. There's a lot there. Alan, Barney just mentioned the top of the rabbit hole looks very different than the bottom of the rabbit hole. We're going to get into some of your arguments against crypto. But before we do, do you think most people even understand really what crypto is? No, <laughs> no, I don't think they do. I think I've listened to a bunch of podcasts. I've studied it in some small way, not like Barney has. And I've gone, well, actually, like I've spoken to people who are heavy investors and I don't get it and they can't explain it to me which I really struggle with that. Like, I'm not dumb. If you can't explain it to me, something's not quite right. And if I can't really understand it, maybe I shouldn't go near it yet. So I think this whole like knowledge and understanding level, I've put some time in, I've listened to the podcast, but like, it's a challenge to understand. So should your, should your average investor who has no knowledge get in? That makes me worried. So you know how um, I've just got to tell you my origin, my Bitcoin origin story, right? You know how every Marvel super character, uh, superhero has a, like a, an origin story. In 1990, I was 20 years old and I'm sat in an economics lecture at university and it's about money and banking. And the lecturer predicts that in the future, there will be these new currencies invented by the private sector that will kind of compete with the dollar and compete with um, the pound and that these will be better forms of money and they'll be electronic and that, and that everyone will kind of start using them. And literally the, a titter of laughter went around the lecture hall as we all laughed at this absurd, you know, absurd sort of fairy tale. And, you know, it's, it's to me, it's just hilarious then that 18 years after that, you know, someone invents Bitcoin, you know, which is a like private form of money competing with the dollar and the and sterling. And and I'd been warned about it 18 years before that, and I still ignored it for 13 years. <laughs> you know, so from 2008 to 2021, 13 years went by when I'd been warned that this was coming, it was going to change the world, and I ignored it and made not a single penny from it. 
Jen, tell me, because when I hear all this, there are two things that come to mind for a reason why I haven't jumped into crypto. I mean, one is it just sounds too good to be true. The other is like Alan, every time I try to understand it, it still doesn't make sense to me why it's valuable. Tell me about you. What's made you reticent? My understanding is you, like I am a little bit of a crypto novice. What has kept you from diving in more? I feel like it's a a bit like investing in single stocks, but at least with single stocks, they have some sort of uh, backing to get onto the stock market. And cryptocurrencies really don't have any, they can be made in a day or, or however long it takes to mine them. I'm really interested in the concept of decentralization. That to me is really interesting, but I feel like it's still in its infancy and so I'm I'm the very safe, aggressive, but like safe investor. And so I we have one single stock because we got it at IPO price. And even that was like really tough for me to <laughs> take a chance on. So yeah, I'm like a safer investor. So that's why I really haven't gotten into it. My husband is he wishes he could get into it. He he talks about it a lot. I mean, the idea is kind of sexy, right? You're talking about decentralization. You're talking about blockchain, two things which, you know, the tech nerds and the finance nerds think is really important. And yet, for some reason, there's this reticence. I think we're going to run this show a little bit differently. Alan, you wrote a blog post, The Five Reasons to Avoid Cryptocurrency. And I want to go through each of those reasons Then we'll have Barney give us maybe the other side of the conversation. And last but not least, Jen and I then can weigh in as the novices and tell you if we've been stirred in one direction or another. Alan, Barney mentioned this whole idea of feeling it was a Ponzi scheme. And in fact, that is your reason number one from your article on alandonegan.com. Cryptocurrency feels like a giant Ponzi scheme. First and foremost, for those of us who don't know, what is a Ponzi scheme and why does crypto feel like one? So I guess like a Ponzi scheme in essence is an actual like illegal thing. I'm not saying crypto is. It just kind of feels that way because like someone buys these coins and then the next person buys them for more and the next person buys them for more and the next person buys for more. And then at some stage, the person who bought them earlier sells them and someone at some point I feel like is going to be left holding the can that they bought them at a high level. And then everyone who got in at the start is going to get out. And it just feels like it's only based on the fact that someone will buy them for more. And a Ponzi scheme is basically that you take the money from the later people and give it to the earlier people until there's no more later people coming in and it all falls down. That's kind of what it feels like. And I know there is tech underneath it. And I know there is value in some of this stuff. I just can't help thinking I don't want to be the person left holding the can at the end, like maybe GameStop or AMC with this whole diamond hand investing stuff that goes crazy. Barney, speak to that a little bit. You know, it seems to me there are two concepts that I always connect with crypto. And maybe I'm incorrect here. One is this idea that the early adopters win out but not necessarily the late adopters. And there's all sorts of things that work this way. The other is this idea of a zero-sum game, right? There's got to be a winner at the bottom and a loser at the top. What do you think, Barney? Is that what crypto is really like? So, so that's that's a great, that's a useful concept, right? The idea of uh, a zero-sum game or a positive-sum game. And crypto is a positive-sum game. 
So like not every, for someone to win, someone else does not have to lose, right? Because essentially what's being built out is a whole new financial system and a whole new set of software tools that are going to enable new applications, new use cases, and new value in the world. So it's a positive sum game overall. Now, will, will there be like winners and losers within that kind of broader context? A- absolutely, yes, there, there, there clearly will be. Just going back to the the original, Alan's original point, which is like, it feels like a Ponzi scheme. I, I thought the word feels was doing a lot of heavy lifting there. <laughs> <laughs> and so I'm a great believer in reels before feels. And so I just like, I, I get it, right? It does feel a bit like a Ponzi scheme. It absolutely does. Because there is an element of that in the sense that if you mind like a Bitcoin or bought a Bitcoin for, you know, for a cent, you know, back in 2009, and it's now whatever it is, $60,000, then then clearly you've benefited by being an early adopter. And clearly, to the extent that you sell to a new guy, you know, you're making a profit and someone's, you know, going to be holding the bag, you know, and they're, they're hoping that it'll be worth more in the future. So there, there absolutely is that element that looks like a Ponzi scheme. And it's not, it's it's a completely, you know, we've trained ourselves in, in Fireworld to spot smoke signals and warning signals and red flags. And it has some of those kind of those red flags. So it's not, it, it, it's, it's a good starting point. Skepticism is a great starting point for a new investment. What, what What's different though with, with crypto is it is all about the adoption, the network adoption effect. So if only one guy uses Bitcoin, then he's not using Bitcoin. You, you cannot have a network with one node. You can't have a, a network with one user. The more nodes, the more users, the more developers, the more applications there are for the network, the more valuable it is. And this is actually, a, there's something called Metcalfe's Law, which is like the value of a communications network is proportional to the square of the number of users or something like that. And so it is absolutely the case that the more people that come in, the more valuable the network becomes. And so you get this kind of parabolic, you know, rise in price and value. Um, so that's, you know, that that's, that's why it looks a little bit like a Ponzi scheme because, you know, in some ways it, there are incentives to be early. Barney, are you saying that part of that network is maybe like retailers accepting Bitcoin? Because I feel like that's a bit of why it feels like a Ponzi scheme is because the only thing that's worth anything, the only thing you can buy with Bitcoin is more Bitcoin, it seems like. There's there's not really anywhere else for it to go. Yeah. So when Satoshi Nakamoto uh, wrote the Bitcoin white paper, it's clear that it was intended as a new form of money. It talks about being a like a, a payment, a payments mechanism. And it it hasn't turned out that way. You know, what, what it's turned out to be, the, the use case, the adoption for it is different to that original intent. It's turned out to be like more like digital gold. So when you no one goes to Walmart and takes a bar of gold right, to pay for their groceries, because it's completely impractical. And actually, that's a bit like Bitcoin. You know, it's, you've got this incredibly valuable thing, asset, this digital asset, but it's it's no use in the sense of I can't take it uh, down to Walmart and pay with it 
as things stands. Now, maybe that will come in the future, maybe it won't. But as of today, Bitcoin's more of a digital store of value than it is a, a currency or a means of exchange. Which I think then is what scares me because it's a digital store of value. So I whack my dollars in there and I hope that someone's going to buy it later for more dollars. And you say it's like big digital gold. And I actually, I, that was one of my things. It does feel like gold. When you're talking about coins, I feel like I might as well buy Cougarand from South Africa or something like that. It feels like I'm just buying a coin and I'm hoping that coin will be worth more. And I think that's what really scares me is that there's no engine or economics or business or anything other than I'm praying that someone sees it's worth more in the future. I think that's my biggest fear, Barney. And and that's, you know, we've all, again, in the fire world, we like productive assets. Yes, we We, do. You know, we like, (laughs) we like property. And we like equities, right? We like yeah. things that grow, get bigger and more valuable and like generate cash flow. And so, you know, something like Bitcoin, which is a, a replacement for gold, it's like a, it's digital gold or digital store of value. You know, it's, it's kind of, okay, I can see that in an internet, in, in the world of the internet in 2021, Maybe there's an argument that Bitcoin's a more useful, a more transmittable type of gold than traditional gold, because you can fire it around the world in milliseconds. It's a lot lighter. Um, so so, so that, that I get. But yeah, the, the, the point remains that Bitcoin isn't really a productive asset. But I was very attracted when I kind of went, as I say, I went down the rabbit hole, and then you find out about Ethereum which was invented by people by bitcoiners but it was invented for the re, you know so that it would be programmable and it would be enable smart contracts and you'd be able to do stuff with it and build stuff with it and so essentially what i see like bitcoin is this kind of useless digital pet rock but i see other digital assets that are being created that have real world use cases and i think of them like software or fintech or you know essentially like google right who google what is google google's a bunch of you know programmers and software uh, that's used in the world and no one says that google has no value are you talking barney about somewhat about tokenism right where where the asset becomes it becomes a token for an asset of some other form no, um, we'll come, I mean, we, we'll come to that because certainly there will be the ability to, for example, take, take a property that and split it into a million different yeah. pieces. You can securitize and, it, yeah. And have a, have a token, a million tokens that allow you to sell a little bit of a property. So that, that's definitely coming and that's useful because that opens up the investable universe of kind of assets that previously only the rich could buy. Like, so previously only the rich could buy, you know, a, a building on Fifth Avenue. Whereas in the future, you're going to have be able to buy a token in that. Sounds like what, a REIT. Does, that sounds like a REIT though. Sounds like a real estate investment index, whatever it is. So it sounds a very similar version of we all pool our money and buy a bunch of property 
that's what it sounds like to me. Am I incorrect? Yeah. Sorry so you will. In. In, so in so a lot of this stuff will converge in the future. You'll be able to buy, you know, a building, or you'll be able to buy a, an equity, um, a share in a REIT, or you'll be able to buy a token which gives you entitlement to ownership of a property. So that there'll be different ways to get access to, you know, your piece of property. Yeah. And, and Alan, I think one of the things about using a token is it's a lot more agile and a lot more democratized, right? So I think one of the things people struggle with now is the centralization of how the government regulates things like REITs, et cetera. I think what you'll find is that people are looking at crypto to tokenize things so that it's much more democratized, much easier. Which I absolutely yeah. love that. I think that's a fantastic concept. What that then brings me on to is that at the moment, who's going to be issuing those tokens are going to be the startups, the smaller projects. They're going to be raising money in a different way. Then we're back to that feels like startup stock picking, which is one of the most risky forms of investment you can do. And I get that maybe in a, in the future, it'll be issuing tokens in a giant organization, in a giant REIT. It'll be completely different. At the moment, it feels like that's one of the most risky ways to invest, like startup stock picking, who are raising money in tokens or, you know, an investor has a giant building they want to buy and you're investing. That's serious concentration risk, investing in one building as opposed to a REIT. No, 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 it's not. Not if you, not if you bought a 10 quid of token. That's not concentration risk at all. It's the opposite. It allows people to, you know, bet, invest, whatever you want to call it, very, very small amounts of money. We've actually talked about your second and third point, Alan, your article. Your second point was there's no assets behind it, which we just mentioned a little bit beforehand. And the third point is that it feels a lot more like speculation and less investment, which I think speaks to what you're talking about right now. Jen, tell me how you feel about that. I mean, does it feel like crypto is much more of a speculative asset, if you can even call it an asset? Yeah, I think... Comparing it to gold kind of turns me off because I don't particularly think gold is a great investment and gold is much harder to create than a cryptocurrency. So it it is interesting. I don't I yeah, I'm listening like and and learning, but haven't really like changed my my mind yet. Barney, I mean, speak to that. Like we think of an investment is it's something you buy into that has intrinsic value that we ultimately think over years will be grow to be worth more because of that intrinsic value. Not necessarily because tons of people are buying it, but because it, it's something of value that's going to grow. How does that framework work when we're discussing cryptocurrency? Let, let me try and illustrate with a, like a real world use case, right? A specific example. So think about like a big software company, a big web 2.0 software company. So Uber, right? What is Uber? It's a bunch of software that's owned by shareholders. And essentially, they organize taxi drivers, and they, they provide the network that taxi drivers use and taxi drivers get paid kind of whatever get, they get paid, like kind of minimum wage plus a bit. So that's, that's the that's the current model of Web 2.0. That's the current model of equity ownership. What crypto allows for the possibility of 
is a new version of Uber that's owned. Ownership is orchestrated by ownership of a token. So imagine a new version of Uber that's owned, the tokens in it are owned by the drivers and by the customers, and the customers pay in the, in the native token, and the drivers can trade the tokens. And essentially, the, the, the tokens have voting rights, for example, and governance rights. And so what you then have is a, a new version of, of Uber that's enabled and facilitated by ownership of a token. And that combines kind of capitalism with socialism. It, it essentially allows the, the, the taxi drivers not to be exploited. It's like, a, it's like Vanguard. It's a mutual organization. And the beauty of customers owning tokens is they become the uh, missionaries for the business. So they have a vested interest in promoting it, talking about it, telling their mates about it. And it's like the most amazing form of marketing because it, it, what it does is it, it turbocharges word of mouth marketing. Alan, it's an interesting concept because we're not only talking about decentralization of currency anymore. We're really talking about decentralization of ownership. I mean, isn't that in fact what Barney's really talking about? Is that a good argument for you? It feels like the same as stocks and shares. Like if I'm an Uber driver, I can buy a share in Uber, which gives me voting rights. Like it feels very similar. You, you, just you, none of the Uber drivers actually do that at the moment. They just spend the money on. No, 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 no. An, an Uber driver can buy stock after it's IPO'd after all of the incredible gains have been take snaffled by Wall Street, snaffled by the bankers and snaffled by the venture capitalists. What the token model does is it allows the taxi drivers to, to help form the business, get in on the ground level, you know, buy the tokens for one cent, you know, and participate in that amazing value creation. But it, it's so it is more like startup investing, which is super risky because and from what I hear and correct me if I'm wrong, because it's decentralized, this new Uber would have its own currency, its own coin. Yeah. And yep. then other startups have their own coin. So if this one fails, your coin is now valueless. Yeah. 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 So that we're going to go to a world where tokens are going to replace sort of air miles, for example, and that they're going to be the predominant form of marketing incentive as well as a form of ownership. And so they're going to facilitate a broadening of acts of participation in venture capital. And it's, you know, where is the wealth concentrated in America? It's on Sand Hill Road and Palo Alto and the, 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 the venture capitalists, of a small clique of venture capitalists in, on the West Coast. And what this new business model does, it allows for the, the possibility of new business models that are decentralized and communities kind of spontaneously create code and applications and they and create new businesses and 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 that's happening like at an, a phenomenal rate right now. Yeah, I it I don't hate it but like for better or for worse venture capitalists <laughs> succeed because they invest in 10 companies and expect eight to fail and just expect two to compensate for all their losses. And I think 
the middle class can't afford for eight coins to eight businesses to fail in their lives. Well, the, you know, that, I mean, index funds and property are not going away. What we're talking about is giving people a new investment opportunity on top of that. It's like the cherry on the cake. So the way, the way I describe it is the way I think about crypto is a, is a wedding cake. Imagine a traditional wedding cake with the layers that kind of get smaller at the top. And then you've got the sort of figurine of the man and the woman right at the top. Well, that's crypto. So you, your base layer is your, your emergency fund. And then you've got kind of getting out of debt. And then you've got index fund. And then you've got property, et cetera. So for me, venture capital and crypto is the cherry on top of the cake. It's kind of the thing that you put on last. And it's the thing, it's kind of, it's it, in my portfolio, it's my fun money. It's my, it's my fun money, my excitement money, and my this might buy me a Lamborghini money. That's yeah, that's ideal, but it's not realistic for a lot of people that aren't investing for retirement, but like all they talk about is crypto. So I would agree that I wouldn't want to be 100% <laughs> in crypto. That's clearly insane. <laughs> but that's that's not that's not no one suggesting that we ban the stock market. No one's st- suggesting that we eliminate other forms of asset class. This is like a new additional option. I think the reason I wrote my article was because I felt like there was so much fear of missing out, pressure to invest. Like, if you don't invest in crypto, you're an idiot, people tell me. And I've had those people tell me that stuff. And I feel so much pressure to get involved. And I think there is a huge swathe of people that are choosing to invest in crypto first before they've even got out of credit card debt like before they've even put anything in an index fund. And I just think it's lunacy. Like, I think there's this thing of, I don't know if I can make it. I'm so far in debt that I need to risk. I need a bigger risk. Crypto gives me a chance. It's a new form of lottery ticket. Like it's a lottery ticket and some of it will go very well. And some of it, people will do well. And that's actually the stories is the stories of, that's how they sell lottery tickets is the stories of the millionaires. They love to share those stories. And it feels like the same thing in cryptocurrencies, the stories of the millionaires, the Bitcoin billionaires, the millionaires in Ethereum, all these different things. And I'm just, I think I have no issue with people investing their 5% of their net worth or their fund money. I think if that's what you want to do, I Fun, fun money, not fund yeah. money. <laughs> Sorry, fun money. Yes, <laughs> not fund money. No, <laughs> no. Uh, I actually applaud that. Go for it. I'm just worried that there is a huge swathe of people that think that's the route to take because they're not going to get there anywhere else, and that really scares me. We're talking to Barney Whiter, the escape artist, Alan Donegan from the Rebel Business School, and Jen Smith from the Frugal Friends podcast. We are talking cryptocurrency. We're going to take a short break. I'm Doc G, and this is Earn and Invest. This episode is brought to you by Range Rover Sport. Range Rover Sport leads by example. With a visceral, uncompromising, and dramatic feel, This car helps you rise to the occasion. How does it do that? 
Range Rover Sport has powerful on-road performance and commanding all-terrain capability by combining assertiveness with signature Range Rover refinement. This is the car that redefines sporting luxury. The new Range Rover Sport features advanced cabin technologies such as active noise cancellation and cabin air purification, purposeful cockpit-like driving position, and award-winning PIVI Pro infotainment is at the heart of the experience and provides intuitive control of the vehicle systems. Design your Range Rover Sport at LandRoverUSA.com. Once again, explore and build your Range Rover Sport at L-A-N-D-R-O-V-E-R. USA.com. That's LandRoverUSA.com. Okay, I know that starting your investing journey can be difficult. What the heck do you invest in and where do you go to invest? I have these same questions and that's why I'm excited to tell people about public.com. It really answers so many of your investing questions. On public.com, you can start with small slices of shares, invest in what you believe in with any amount. But it's not just that. It's also a social platform where you can exchange ideas and insights with a community of investors and build your portfolio with confidence. That portfolio spans individual stocks, index funds and ETFs, and even crypto But I know you're worried, what if I make a mistake? The idea behind public.com is to help you invest safely. They have volatility reminders that let you know investments like crypto are a little riskier. Start investing with as little as $1 and get a free slice of stock up to $50 when you join public.com today. Visit public.com slash EAI to download the app and sign up. That's public.com slash EAI. This is valid for U.S. residents 18 and older, subject to account approval. See public.com slash disclosures. This is not investment advice. Let me reintroduce you. We are here with Barney Whiter, the escape artist, Alan Donegan of alandonegan.com, and Jen Smith from the Frugal Friends podcast and the Modern Frugality blog. We are talking cryptocurrency. Barney... As usual, Alan jumped ahead to his reason five, which is, (laughs) you know, you can never keep this guy going, you know, systematically through his reasons. But pretty much he was saying reason five, you're trying to make up for lost time. There are a lot of people who are struggling with debt. There are a lot of people who haven't made it through those first steps of investing and who are trying to kind of get the fast path to wealth. On the other hand, you mentioned this idea of having it be play money, but it might just possibly buy you a Lamborghini. My friend Joe Salcihai just wrote a book called Stacked, and one of the concepts he talks about is strategic under-diversification. In other words, if you want to make a lot of money and get rich slowly, you put your money in index funds. But if you want to make a lot of money quickly, you've got to under-diversify and take some chances. He brings up Dave Ramsey all the time. He's like, Dave Ramsey tells you to pay off debt and you know, invest. And, you know, over a long time, you're going to build wealth. You're going to become one of those everyday millionaires. But Dave Ramsey didn't do it that way. He built a company, put all his eggs in one basket and hit it out of the park. Is there an argument that crypto is just too lucrative for you to sit on the sidelines? So if I was a um, college student just graduating computer science, I would look for a job 
as a crypto software developer because the opportunities are incredible. Not only is it like a really fast expanding industry, but essentially you could go and work for startups and you get paid in tokens. And those guys, you know, are some of those guys are going to make life changing amounts of money. And so there are these kind of incredible opportunities. This stuff is always contextual, right? All good advice is contextual. All financial advice should be contextual. It should be depend on kind of the circumstances and the risk tolerance and the age and all the other things of the person in front of you. So if my daughter, who's just about to graduate with a physics degree, said, I'm going to go and work for like coding for a crypto protocol, I'd be like, brilliant, you might, this might make you a gazillionaire. And I would support her 100%. Now, if my mum came to me and said, I'm bored of all these index funds, and I'm bored of owning a house, and I'm just going to put it uh, all in, you know, into, you know, shitcoin, you know, Z31B, I'd say, mum, you've gone mad. (laughs) So, of course, it's contextual. Of course, it is. Jen, I mean, Barney brings up a good point. We talk about buying and selling cryptocurrency, but there are a lot of ways to get into this market that aren't necessarily buying a coin itself. Mining is one of them. Barney was talking about getting involved in some of the businesses. Maybe that's a way for people to get involved without getting overly involved, so to speak. Yeah, it is interesting. I wonder about like the eco-sustainability of mining. Like, is this going to be something that's sustainable for us long-term? Because that's something I've heard a lot about, but haven't like looked into. So I feel like it's a great innovation in technology, but it's very, it's limited by how much power it takes to mine these things. Barney, that's getting better, isn't it? I mean, originally, I believe with Bitcoin, it was taking a huge amount of energy. And as more and more Bitcoin were issued, the puzzles the computers have to solve get harder and harder, which takes more energy and more computers to solve those puzzles to certify the reactions or interactions on the blockchain. But there's some cryptocurrencies that are working their way around that, aren't there? Yeah. So Ethereum is in the process of moving away from mining and away from um, proof of work to what's called proof of stake. And the technical details don't really matter other than it reduces the energy consumption by 99%. And so the Bitcoin, Bitcoin still does use proof of work and it still does consume a lot of electricity and like Bitcoin fans will tell you that it's okay because it's mostly using renewables and increasingly more and more so. And it's a way of using energy that would otherwise be wasted. But the reality is there are other, other cryptocurrencies don't use that same system. And so I would expect over time, all new cryptos essentially to be, to, to be a, a much more kind of energy efficient proof of state model. So, Alan, I want to keep you on task here. We've jumped around, but the article is five reasons to avoid cryptocurrency. We covered reason one because it feels like a Ponzi scam. We talked about reason two, that there's a question about the underlying assets. Reason three, it's speculation and not investment. 
We were just talking a little bit about reason five. You're trying to make up for lost time. One that we haven't talked about is reason four, which is, hey, if you own a total market index, you actually have some exposure to cryptocurrency and don't necessarily need to go out and buy a coin. Talk about that a little bit. So for me, the whole point of index funds is I don't have to stop pick. <laughs> That's it. Like I, I am not smart enough to say Apple's going to be the performing share over the next decade, and I'm not willing to risk my own money on that. I just want to own a tiny slice of all of them. And it seems like with cryptocurrency, and I'm sure there will be crypto funds in the future and all this stuff where you don't have to pick. But at the moment, I have to pick Bitcoin or I pick some of the other ones, or like as Barney said, I might end up carrying shitcoin by mistake. I have to pick, and I don't like picking. I think it leads to worse results over the long term. And actually, by not picking in an index fund, I bought a bunch of companies who already have position in crypto. So I own Microsoft, Goldman Sachs, NASDAQ, Square, PayPal, MasterCard, Visa, and there's a bunch more that have big positions in crypto. So basically, I'm avoiding choosing, and I'm relying on the super smart people out there who work for these companies who are trying to figure out for me on a daily basis and I don't have to bother. So even though I'm arguing against crypto, I actually have a position in it through my index and a significant one in some of those giant businesses. And I'm quite happy with that. I'll let the super smart people work it out for me because I know I'll probably make the wrong mistake myself, the wrong choice. Barney, you're not going to hit it out of the park that way, but he is correct. In a sense, you do have exposure to that asset class. I'm also a great believer in you know, low, low cost index investing. What I mean, what's going to come to the rescue here is our, our crypto ind- indices. So right now, today, there is a Bloomberg Galaxy industry index, and in the US, there are funds that track that index. So you can buy an index fund for crypto in the US today. So if you just want to index it, there will be products for you that, that do that. Alan's argument was a slightly different one, which is that he'll get kind of indirect exposure through traditional equities. That I'm not so sure about because I think obviously there will be there will be some exposure in some of those companies, but net net it's going to be underweight. So if if you if you take my Uber example, if new Uber puts old Uber out of business, then the old Uber fades away in the equity index fund and the new Uber sits outside of the equity world and in the token world. So I'm not quite convinced that, you know, your traditional VTSAX or VTI will will capture all um, of the value created by crypto in the future. Wow, Barney, you just did something that I wasn't expecting. In a sense, um, you made me wonder, we're always talking about the existential threat to index investing, right? There's always an existential threat that we're worried is out there, but we don't know what it is. This is that. To- tokenism could be it, right? Because what it, could it drive, because it's so outside of the stock market and its regulation is completely different. They don't play together. Yeah. So, so I, Alan is right in that PayPal and Visa and Square will have some some positive boost from this. But my concern is like, 
that won't make up for the disruption and the dislocation and the competition and the value creation that sits outside of that ecosystem. Jen, it's interesting, right? Because me as the novice, I think for the first time during this conversation, I really started to feel if I don't at least understand this, I could be left in the dark if the traditional equity markets stop dropping because a new and unforeseen market, something like a token market grows up next to it. And I haven't at least learned enough to be involved in it. Yeah. Decentralization was interesting until just this moment when it made me afraid (laughs) that people might have to become stock pickers, essentially, to be successful with investing. If that does kind of diminish the returns of the regular stock market. So my my argument is not that people need to become stock pickers, because I think Alan and and Jen, you're right. That's, That's a kind of a dumb occupation for most people. My point is just that you should be aware that this thing is happening. It's really sensible just to keep an eye on it. And you and my point is that there will be index products in crypto world that you can just say, I, I just want, you know, a p- proportion of my net worth in indexed crypto token exposure. Do it for me. And it's notable, I think, for all of us that what we're really talking about when we're talking about tokenization is assigning an asset to that coin, which at the moment, when we're talking about just general things like Bitcoin, it like gold has more of a value, but there's not necessarily backed by an asset that has meaning, right? Some could say gold has meaning to you, but the truth of the matter is it's, it's, you know, it's a rock, right? It doesn't really do anything for you. Whereas when we talk about tokens, ultimately, eventually, these coins would have a connected asset to them. For instance, a share of an Uber or a share of, I I talked to a guy who was using water filtration systems, and he was talking about tokenizing these systems so that you could buy asset through getting this token, and then you would receive dividends every so often from the profits of this water company that he runs. So it, it, it is interesting, but it does, for the first time, I actually feel like there is some threat to our traditional beliefs of the stock market and how it works and how that might affect at least stock indexing. But I think as Barney was talking about too, there's going to be indexing within the token world and within the crypto world too. It's just a matter of, do we feel knowledgeable enough to actually jump in I'm going to have both Barney and Alan give their closing arguments to you, Jen, but tell me how you're feeling at this point in the conversation. I I think maybe to bring it full circle, it does sound a little bit like the new REIT instead of, you know, real estate, it's, you know, these future businesses and that maybe you should weight it as much as, you know, as many REITs as you have inside your portfolio, maybe as much, you know, crypto index funds when they become available is what it's sounding like. And I like this idea of doing enough of it to at least understand the market, even mm-hmm. if you're not heavily invested in that market yet, because as things change, you'll at least have some knowledge and some agility within crypto. So one of the, you know, one of the things that I think is interesting is for, uh, for kind of us and people in the far world who believe in passive um, index weightings in diversification uh, and not stock picking is, I mean, 
if you if you kind of tot up all of the financial assets in the world, crypto is now worth half a percent, right? And so if you own zero crypto, you're you're essentially betting against the index. You're betting against the market cap weightings as determined by the market. And so if you were really a believer in passive index investing and market cap weightings, you'd you'd have, you know, you'd have half a percent in crypto. So, you know, hundred thousand dollar portfolio, you'd have five hundred pounds in crypto to match the those market cap weightings. That's a great closing argument, Barney. Alan, tell us your closing argument for not being involved in crypto. <laughs> well, I actually feel like I've already sort of like I'm doing what Barney has said through the index fund. Like I probably own half a percent of something through all these companies that already own crypto in different ways. And I'm going to see an upside of that within the index fund that I'm already doing. And I think we should learn as we go. I'm completely open to that. I think we should definitely understand it. I just think at the moment it feels like stock picking and a bunch of people are going to get burnt by buying the wrong thing at the wrong time. I think it's just far easier to own it within an index fund, and that's it. I think what we all can certainly say at the end of this conversation is crypto is here to say. And so whether you buy it or not, it behooves us to understand it and to pay attention because markets are changing. And as much as we love to hold on to this idea that being an equity investor in all broad-based index funds, which is exactly what I am, is going to be the future, I think we have to hedge our bets and understand what else is coming down the pike, which may affect these markets. So getting to know crypto, getting to understand it, understand how the market works and why people use it, I think will never do us harm, even if we never put a single cent into a coin that ends up into a wallet we own. We have to understand our markets because markets change and sometimes they change in ways that we are not expecting. I think I'm leaning more towards having a play fund in crypto than I ever have been, certainly after this conversation, because I know for me personally, I think that's going to be the only way I truly understand how it's used, how it's transacted, and why I might or might not want some. But again, we're talking about a small percentage. I like what you said, Barney, this idea that you're talking about 0.5% of the cap weighting. The way I see it is if someone just goes to Coinbase, opens an account, and buys 100 pounds of Bitcoin and 100 pounds of Ethereum, you know, for, for, that's not going to bankrupt any of us, okay? But what it does is it gives you some skin in the game. It, it's a signal that I'm open-minded. I'm willing to keep an eye on this stuff. And it stops you being, it stops you kind of burying your head in the sand and just hoping it goes away. So I'm, you know, I, I'm a great believer in start small baby steps. I don't think anyone should buy this stuff if they're in debt. I don't think anyone should kind of gamble their future on it. But I think if you're not prepared to buy $100 worth of it, like that's almost like a religious objection. And that, that, that feels kind of weird to me. Well, certainly crypto is not going away and neither are any of you. I want to end this episode the way I end every episode by asking you what is up next in your life and where we can find you. Jen, let's start with you. What is going on with the Frugal Friends podcast and how can we reach you? 
Well, we are releasing a new episode every Friday, helping people save money and spend less by by fewer things that they don't believe in and maybe funnel some of that to crypto. Who knows? But you can catch us every single Friday and you can get a free seven-day no-spend challenge workbook at frugalfriendspodcast.com slash free. Alan Donegan is a busy man at alandonegan.com as well as the Rebel Business School and his own podcast. Alan, what is up next and where can we find you? Most of my stuff is on alandonegan.com. What's up next is my wife and I are writing an article on ESG funds and getting geeky analyzing them versus normal funds. We're also traveling to Toronto to go and hang out in the cold weather and currently in Bogota eating too much Colombian chicharron. And Barney Whiter is the escape artist. What is up next with you and where can we find you? So you can find me at theescapeartist.me. That's my blog. All my stuff's on there. I'm now off to go and buy my Lamborghini. (laughs) Sounds good. Well, this has been the Earn and Invest podcast. On behalf of myself, Doc G, I'd like to thank Barney Whiter, Alan Donegan, and Jen Smith. That's a wrap. Have you been trying to learn about real estate? I know many of us are, and even if we know a little, we could always learn more. That's why I send people over to the Financial Independence and Real Estate Podcast with Coach Carson. Chad, the coach, has two types of episodes, one in which he himself tells you the tips and tricks to this asset class, and the other is where he has guests proof of concept who show how they work towards financial independence using real estate. It is a great podcast. I highly suggest you check it out. Just go to coachcarson.com. Again, that's coachcarson.com. It is the real estate and financial independence podcast. Take a listen. You won't regret it. So the magic of podcast land is, although you're hearing this right after the close of the last section, I've had the ability to go back and look at the video of the episode we just recorded. And I noticed that as we were giving our summations, Alan was talking about how he felt like he owned crypto already through index fund investing and felt like that was the best way to do it. And then Barney started talking about how... It wouldn't hurt anyone to put $100 or 100 pounds into cryptocurrency and see how it went. As I looked at the video in review, I started to watch Alan's face, and I realized that there were a number of points there that he didn't necessarily agree with, and we didn't have a chance to discuss them on the podcast. And then a day later, Alan wrote me and said pretty much there were some things he felt needed (laughs) to be said about the end of our conversation So because this is the magic of podcast land, I have invited him back to further have this conversation. Alan, welcome back to Earn and Invest. What made you uncomfortable towards the end of our crypto conversation? I just left the conversation feeling like we were perpetuating the fear of missing out the FOMO rather than mitigating some of it and allowing people to make their own choices. Uh, And I'm definitely not against investing in crypto, like do what you want to do. Uh, I just think when it's based on fear of missing out on the next Uber, on the next big thing, on the next startup, on the next economy, and I'm just scared of missing out, I think that's a dangerous world to be in. And I just left the podcast feeling like it. we perpetuated FOMO rather than 
alleviated it and left on a factual basis. And that, like, I just, I just, yeah, something inside me went, this is wrong. This is wrong. I need to, I need to reach out to Doc G and just say, I'm uncomfortable about how this was left. It's an important point because, you know, take us out of the cryptocurrency realm in general, investing should never really be about fear, right? And this is, I I think you started mentioning this as one of, I think it was your fourth or your fifth point about cryptocurrency, why you don't feel the need to, that everyone doesn't need to invest in it. You said something like, if you're feeling like you're behind and you have to catch up, that's a particularly horrible time to invest in crypto. And I think FOMO perpetuates that feeling just about in everything. Um, So talk about the role of fear in investing and why we kind of get in trouble with cryptocurrency. Well, I think there's so many examples of people who, there was a big scandal in the UK that happened where lots of people lost their pensions and then they were left without pensions. And then they're trying desperately to make back up time at 50, 45, 55, 60, with not that many years left. And that led to a whole bunch of people stock picking and try, like they're placing bets to try and make up lost ground. And that's just risky. We're like, I just have this image of being at the craps table, rolling the dice, trying to get my life back on track. Uh, and it's dangerous. And the entire FI community is built on get rich slowly. That's like the entire thing is don't believe in the get rich quick schemes. Don't believe in any of this stuff and take your time. And I think all of these adverts, all of these things are perpetuating the fear. And like, it's quite interesting. I got an email this morning saying we're a group of scientists from MIT having taught artificial intelligence with 100% accuracy to determine altcoins (laughs) that will increase price by 15,000%. Click here to invest with us now. Um, And I'm getting messages like this randomly through spam. I know it's spam, but it's somehow getting to my email box. Uh, And there's such a drive to you're missing out, you're missing out. And I think, yeah, I just... I I just want to say to the listeners, Doc G, that fear is not a good reason to get involved. If you've spent five, six months studying it full time like Barney has, and you really understand what you're doing and you've learned it, then maybe you can stock pick, coin pick, whatever it is. If you're investing because you're desperate to make up time, you want to skip ahead, you want to get rich quick, you think it's the next whatever it is, that's dangerous. And one of the things we repeated on the podcast was about the next Uber. And what struck me afterwards was if you index fund invest, you would never get in on the next Uber anyway, until it reaches the index, just like Tesla has just come into the index like six months ago or whatever, and it skyrocketed since. And we've seen upside from that afterwards, but we didn't see the initial upside that was so huge but then we didn't place the gamble or the bet on that. And I think that was the bit is like, well, you're never going to see that unless you start startup picking, unless you do startup investing, which again is one of those things that we all see as a highly risky endeavor, unless you have some actual knowledge, uh, some actual skill, maybe you've moved to the area and learned the stuff. It's not a game like this. 
might sound arrogant, especially because I'm British, like I feel like <laughs> I'm a reasonably smart man, but there's no way I would trust myself without a huge amount of learning to play that game. And I think that's the piece is like, if you are going to do this, then do the work and educate yourself. Do it from a place of knowledge, not a place of fear. I kind of look at the metaphor. I've been thinking a lot about it as cryptocurrency is going to the casino. Because I think where we are with cryptocurrency right now, they're just, they're not enough logical indicators that help us make decisions. So it's like going to the casino. You can go to the casino one night and, you know, hit all the right numbers or the craps table and hit it right. And you can come out one night making hundreds or thousands of dollars. You can even come out one week doing really well. But if you go to the casino every night for a year or two or three, the likelihood is you're going to lose your money. Now, there are people who go out and study blackjack, let's say, right? And they learn how to count cards. And after studying it for a year or two, they can slightly bend the odds toward them. And even those people then may go in and hit it big one night or two. But for your average Joe or Jane, for your average person who isn't studying this at all, you may get some big nights, but you're probably likely to lose, if not big time, at least lose some long term. And to me, that metaphor has been making a lot of sense lately. So I think it's really interesting when you talk about long term. Uh, I put that article out there and I got lots of comments saying you're wrong, Alan, um, which happens all the time. I am wrong. Uh, and one of them said, like, I'm I'm doing the trading. I buy coins. I then sell them. I buy a new coin. This provides me money to live off. Uh, and I just thought to myself, like, what's the end game actually it was my wife, Katie. She's, she's the super smart one here. She said, what's the end game? Where are you going with this? What's the end game? Are you trading forever and buying in and out to make money? Or are you going to like try and hit it big on one coin and then sell and then take the money and put it in an index fund? Like, where's the end game to this stuff? Or is it buy and hold this coin forever and it's really quite interesting when you think of that because if you're buying and selling and doing all these different things basically everything we tell people not to do in the stock market is what people tell you to do in crypto so we tell people don't time the market we tell people don't pick individual things we tell people don't jump in and out and that's exactly the advice you have on the other side which i find really interesting and I think struggle to to make up like where is that long term? Where is that long term game? Are you in it for a quick? Let's make ten grand, take it out and put it in index funds, and then gamble with half of it again. I'm not. Yeah, then we're back to the blackjack analogy. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I just I don't know that there might well be a long term game. I haven't seen it yet. Yeah, it's the difference between speculation and investment, right? So right now, unless something majorly changes right now, cryptocurrency still is quite a bit of speculation, right? It's about short-term quick gains, mostly due to luck and timing. And we all know that that's what speculation is. Um, We tend to like to talk about investment because speculation is a very short-term thing that maybe we should do with a tiny, tiny bit of money. Uh, but we would be remiss in suggesting that you take your life savings and speculate on a regular basis because most likely it's going to end up in disaster. And unlike index investing, when an index fund goes wrong, you lose 10, 20, or 50% of your money. 
when speculation goes wrong, you tend to lose all your money and it tends to never come back. Once a speculative asset goes to zero, it's usually gone. An index fund can go down to 30%, 40% in a really bad market, but most likely over time, it's going to come back up. Yes. And that so far over history has always been the argument is it always goes up over the long term. Even if you lost 50% in 08, by 2010, 2011, it was back at those highs and has continued to grow since. And I think the thing, if you buy an index fund, a global index fund has seven and a half thousand companies in it. If two of them go bankrupt, it's not really going to affect you because there will two be two that do really well. And that's the whole point of diversification rather than picking, I'm going to put a hundred pounds into Bitcoin, altcoin, fishcoin, dogecoin, banana coin, whatever it is. <laughs> Well, what I love about you, Alan Donegan, is you are fighting back FOMO by putting a stake in the ground, and that stake is your blog post. Assuming you don't take that down, that is there for the long term for people to come back and reevaluate in a year, two years, and five years. You have put your line in the sand, and I have to respect that. And there's a big chance I'm going to be wrong. And there's a big chance, and actually I will be wrong because one of these coins is going to become something. It's just the challenges we don't know which, which is the same with startup investing. One of these new startups is going to become something. The challenge is we don't know which. And I am wrong, but I also think that I just want people to come from a place of knowledge, not fear. Uh, and the whole point of the blog post was just chill out, <laughs> just relax. We're in this for the long run. Uh, let's play the game over the long term, not trying to make a grand over the next week and risk everything. Yeah, the benefit of being an investor as a speculator is you don't need to be an early adopter, right? So we're kind of trying to set up our financial house such that we can miss out on all those early adopter millionaires and still be fine because when it becomes part of an, a good investment plan, we will then eventually integrate it into our asset allocation. Yes, and uh, it's already happening. There's already a bunch of crypto in the indexes, uh, and I'm sure it will grow as more people around the world invest in it. And I will just, by being in the index, own more. Uh, but I don't have to decide which one. And I think that's the biggest piece because... I'm blatantly going to pick the wrong one, Doc G. <laughs> <laughs> so will I, for sure. <laughs> All right. Um, well, good. Yeah. I was just going to say, thank you so much for letting me just get that off my chest. I just wanted to say to everyone listening to the Earn and Invest podcast, just take your time, learn about things, come from a position of learning rather than fear. That's all I want you to do. Learn as much as you can and just take it easy. We all want you to succeed here. Yeah. And I, I think that's true. And I think that's the idea behind this podcast as well as our community is we're trying to find the best way for all of us to rise together. Exactly. Thanks for coming back. Thanks for having me on the Earn and Invest podcast. Cool. That was a lot of fun. Thank you guys for doing this. I thought that was 
both surface and deep at the same time, which I, I don't know how to have this conversation without doing both. Cause I just, I, I feel like it's a, people still don't understand. I, even though I feel like I have a decent understanding of cryptocurrency, there are just so many levels that, that I don't understand. This is the first time where I feel like I have a decent understanding of what it is now. Like I was kind of dreading this interview and I almost said <laughs> no, but I was like, maybe I will learn something because I'm it's sure really I'm not hard. the only one like me. It's really hard. Like to understand it properly, which I don't, by the way, but to understand it properly, you'd have to understand, you know, computer science, cryptography, economics, mm-hmm. game theory, uh, behavioral economics, behavioral psychology. There's a lot there. Yeah, yeah. And Ooh. actually, Jen, that was part of the reason why I think you and I were good for this conversation, because um, I think these two have very, you know, have thought deeply about why they stand where they stand. And I certainly was kind of in the middle, whereas I kind of buy a little bit of both. And I suspect you're kind of there, too. It's like, well, it hasn't affected my life enough that I have to go learn about it right now. Mm-hmm. But we hear the rumbling, you know, like, OK, it started as something. OK, this is BS. This is crazy. All the crazy people are doing it. And then over the years, it's kind of like, but yeah, it's getting a bigger and bigger part of the market. I remember back in like, I think it was maybe 2013, 2014, and I was working at a little acupuncture clinic and we didn't even take cat or we didn't even take cards. They still don't take cards, only cash. And somebody came in and was like, hey, we'd love to help you set up to accept Bitcoin as a form of payment. And I'm like, the owner's not going to go for that. (laughs) We can't even accept credit cards. But he could have been like so wealthy right now if we just started accepting Bitcoin. Yeah, right. People would have had to pay in Bitcoin. My son did something on his phone online in 2017 or 2018, and they paid him in like one Ethereum. And of course, I don't know what kind of wallet he put it in. He can't find it now. But you know, I don't oh, know oh. yeah, it was it was thousands of dollars, I think, or maybe it was I don't know. It was a deny. He said it's worth five to ten thousand dollars now, whatever it was. So I don't know if it was a full Ethereum or a denomination or multiple. But um, yeah, yeah. What my was? brother was talking about this stuff. So my brother is kind of a tech geek, um, and he was blogging about this in like two thousand. 12, 13, like talking about Bitcoin. He didn't buy it. I mean, he bought a little, but but like not not huge amounts. But but he he's been kind of on this for a long time and I've kind of been ignoring it the whole time. <laughs> it's so it's so tempting, I think, just to want it to go away. Oh yeah. I, oh, I, for I spent sure. I spent years just hoping it would go away. It's a new world order which we don't understand. Mm-hmm. Right. So we like our especially people like us for better or for worse. Um, we feel like we've got a decent hold of how it works. Right. And so this new thing comes along. It's you're absolutely that's, right. That's kind of throw it's, it's off putting. Cause it's like, um, okay. I don't know how to integrate this. I certainly so bu- go ahead. So I was, um, a bunch of my readers email me saying, Oh, what? So I've done all this work to understand index funds and I spent all this time and I finally got comfortable. And now you're telling me I've got to learn something else. I'm like, I'm sorry, don't shoot the messenger. I <laughs> it doesn't, it, it does, <laughs> but it doesn't follow the rules that we kind of hold dear, right? It doesn't. Like, I, I don't like to invest in anything that I can't solidly say this is what I'm buying, right? I I want to know. I want to know I'm owning a piece of that company or I want to know that I'm buying into this piece of real estate. And yeah, like it's hard to understand what you're getting when you get a Bitcoin and what's going to change its value. 
but but when you when you think about this, you realize there's nothing behind uh, government currencies. Right. Never. Right. You know, it's it's a hundred dollar bill costs them like yeah, it's you know, a concept. 50 cents to manufacture that that's just magic internet money <laughs> it's so all but, currency is magic internet but money. we don't see the crazy swings of valuation as much especially in u.s currency so right their currencies you know there there have always been currency traders right there's always people who dilly dally in currencies buy and sell different currencies because there is movement within all currencies the thing about crypto is the movement seems to be out of proportion to anything that we can um, speculate intelligently about, <laughs> right? So that's what I think is is also off-putting. It's like the swings in the value of that currency make it feel very uncomfortable. And, and I, I feel I like think, there's a new one every day. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, the, and. You know, at the turn of the century in 1900, there were like a a hundred different car companies and, you know, most of them went bankrupt, disappeared or got amalgamated. So there there will clearly be an enormous shakeout and most of these currencies will end up as vaporware, as they call it. Yeah. Yeah. I think it would be a cool once like we can see cryptocurrencies become more, you know, more index fund like. I think that would be something it does just exist. like reads. It does yeah. exist. The other thing that I think could definitely change <laughs> the game is is if when the when and if the government gets into cryptocurrencies, right? So at some point there will be a US backed government cryptocurrency which will be a lot more stable, which will offer a lot of the technological advances without the rapid valuation swings. And so the question is how is that going to affect the market too? It won't when it comes to things like tokenization. Um, but it might affect kind of the swings we see in things like Bitcoins that are just completely based on how many people are buying at a given time. Because if you can get all the benefit of the blockchain, all the benefit of the ease, um, but with the stability that might come with the U.S. government actually promoting and using it, uh, you might find that a lot of people actually prefer to use that type of coin. When you when you start kind of dabbling in this in the in the world of crypto you you kind of never want to go back to the traditional banking system that takes 3 to 5 days for money to clear and all of that sort of you you get used to money just moving within 20 seconds yeah and so that's you know that is progress that is um you know the the, the banking st- system is still pretty antiquated in many ways the other thing is people who actually originally were involved with crypto were very free spirits anti-government decentralization. I don't want the government's hands in my money. I don't want them watching what I do. And and that part, the current mechanisms are always going to support that kind of thing, right? So it still is a lot more freewheeling, which there are a lot of kind of anti-regulation, anti-government people who love, who love the fact that crypto offers that. Yeah, a lot of the Bitcoiners are sort of crazy libertarian types. But again, you know, in the in some of this other stuff, it's just it's just like software, and it it doesn't have that sort of um, those political aspects to it. Well, thank you guys for having this conversation. I thought it was fantastic. I think it's going to be a great episode. In fact, I might move it up and do this one earlier than later, just because I think it's very much of the moment. It's certainly of the moment. Like ETH's hit a new high today, and Bitcoin's probably hitting a new high today. So it's certainly kind of topical. Yeah.
And I like the fact that I think it was very understandable, which, you know, you get two crazy Bitcoin experts on. Sometimes they just go to a level that no one understands. (laughs) Yeah. If I could understand it, then that's great. (laughs) That's great. It's a good episode. Me too. It feels really good to be productive, but a lot of the time it's easier said than done, especially when you need to make time to learn about productivity so you can actually, you know, be productive. But you can start your morning off right and be ready to get stuff done in just a few minutes with the Inc. Productivity Tip of the Day podcast. New episodes drop every weekday, so listen and subscribe to Inc. Productivity Tip of the Day wherever you get your podcasts. That's Inc. Productivity Tip of the Day wherever you get your podcasts. You care about your money. Of course you do. So why aren't you listening to SoFi Daily? This podcast will keep you updated on the latest news in the stock market and how it could impact your financial life. Stay on top of what's happening. Listen to SoFi Daily wherever you get your podcasts. That's SoFi Daily wherever you get your podcasts.